0: I I hope that the state stuff doesn't take that long. Yeah, That's why I'm going to be like, I'm going to just give like a super high level overview and hopefully it shouldn't take more than like 10 minutes or 15.
1: 35 minutes later.
0: Yeah, I know. (laughs)
1: Hello. It is Friday, April eighth, two thousand sixteen, and this is episode eleven of "Due for a Win," the Atlantic City and Casino Biz podcast. My name is Craig Stone. With me on the other end of the line is Kyle Askin. Howdy. We have lots of stuff to talk about. Starting with something that's been a very, very much an ongoing topic: the takeover slash pilot bill slash AC shutdown um, that. You know, we talked about, as very much was going to happen tonight, the city was going to shut down City Hall through May 2nd. Um, Do you have an update for us on that, Kyle?
0: (laughs) Right. So, like you said, the last time that we talked about it, two weeks ago, the plan was that the government of Atlantic City was going to shut down, uh, effective today, basically. Today was going to be the last day of work, and they were going to reopen on May 2nd. So that isn't going to happen because what the uh, Atlantic City City Council did was unanimously pass a bill changing basically the number or the time between paychecks from two weeks to four weeks. So the next time that people are going to get a paycheck is going to be May the 6th, Uh, but everyone will continue working. Uh, during that downtime. Um, So the bit of drama that was happening today around this was that Chris Christie sued to try to prevent this payment earlier in the day, or actually a couple days ago, uh, basically, or he got his education director to sue or whatever that position is called in the New Jersey state government, uh, just because uh, the city of Atlantic City is in such dire straits that They if they make these payroll payments to their employees, the claim was that they might not have enough money either this month or in a future month to make a required payment to the school, the local school board. And today the judge ruled on it. And it was actually after the payroll got made. So it didn't even matter. But the judge ruled on it and rejected it outright and had a bunch of not very nice things to say about trying to. Basically take away these people's paychecks today who make, you know, $20,000 or $25,000 a year. So that's what happened there. Did While this has all been happening, uh, as I mentioned, the, the takeover has been stalled since the last time we talked. I mean, I mentioned it was stalled the last time we talked, and it's still stalled. Vincent Prieto still refuses to uh, put out the the Christie-Sweeney bill in the Assembly, and instead, yesterday, he has proposed a new bill, which basically creates a five-person uh, council or planning committee that would basically run or kind of set benchmarks for the city of Atlantic City. And only if the benchmarks aren't met for the first year, then things can start happening like the water authority gets sold or Baterfield gets sold or whatever. And then if it's for two years in a row, the benchmarks aren't met. Only then can the collective bargaining agreements with the uh, union or the public sector union contracts be broken. It also removed the casino opt-out, which I think we talked about quite a bit last time. It's not something that I'm necessarily I care about either way, because I think that if there's North Jersey casinos, a lot of casinos are going to shut down and actually having the opt out might, might be a good thing because it might help casinos stay open a little bit longer than they would otherwise. The third thing that sort of has happened that, or that has been happening is that there's just been kind of a a general worsening of the relationship between Christine. And Prieto, Christian and Don Guardian, Prieto and Steve Sweeney. And it's basically sort of degenerated into a lot of name-calling over the last week. And I don't think there's too much of a reason to get into too much of that. But uh, what did I miss, Greg? What What do you want to talk about specifically <laughs> in all that?
1: So I think, first of all, my understanding, and I don't know if this has changed, was that the judge in the school lawsuit said basically said he wasn't going to rule until April 19th, which is the same thing as ruling against them. Because, like, he did have those negative things to say. He said, like, politics is basically playing into this, and he didn't see the sort of real application right. of the suit, I think. But I think he basically just punted, which is the same thing as as, as ruling against it, effectively, well, because okay. by the time that it comes around, it's, it's not going to matter.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think he made it pretty clear, though, from all of his comments that he... Was not in favor. And and even, I mean, he, something that he mentioned that he also got the state of New Jersey uh, lawyer to agree to is that it's actually illegal for <laughs> them to not pay their employees. So I don't even know what they're trying to accomplish from this.
1: Right. And the funny thing to me was that uh, the, the city's Board of Education um, was not on board with the suit. And, you know, they're the ones who are affected by this alleged lack of ability to pay. Uh, during the Ask the Mayor segment on WPG, uh, the mayor actually had the Board of Education president on, and the Board of Education president was kind of interesting because he was saying like, well, you know, yeah, it's late. The payments are late, but the payments have been late for the last like five mayors. So this is not really that different. And and really, you know, I've been more in touch with Guardian than any of the previous mayors and, and you know, basically said everything's As fine as it normally is, you know, he didn't sound like he was saying everything was great, but he definitely did not sort of seem to back the state's actions. And then nobody from the board of ed showed up at the suit, and that was something that the city was sure to point out. Their lawyers were like, "Well, you notice that you know the board of ed in the city that is is sort of the entity that should be pushing for this suit if there's a suit necessary uh, is not here at all (laughs) and is not represented." So. So that was interesting, and, and listening to that on WPG was interesting. Uh, one other thing that I just want to talk about is the mudslinging that's happened, if only because it's kind of been interesting and sometimes infuriating, and sort of the fact-checking on it has been interesting. And if you follow Amy S. Rosenberg on Twitter and Christian Hedrick on Twitter, uh, I feel like such a journalism wonk lately because – I'm like listening to these press press conferences and rooting for them as they ask these tough questions, and then it's just funny to see the way that people respond and the different ways that Christie and Guardian respond and I'll just kind of leave it at that and let people draw their own conclusions and you can read amy rosenberg and and Christian Hetrick's Twitter accounts if you want to know the details about that because uh, you know it got a little nasty at times <laughs> at some of the pre- at one of the press conferences, but
0: so I, I I think just something quick I wanna say and, you know, as a meta point you can edit this out if you want to, but it you know, my general impression has been over the last couple of weeks just from following it, that I'm beginning to think that maybe Prieto and Guardian do have the power and maybe that their side has the upper hand in the bargaining with uh Christy and Sweeney. But I think a lot of that impression that I have is just because of when I listen to Don Guardian talk to the press versus when I listen to Chris Christie talk to the press because, you know, Chris Christie has been very snippy and has made a lot of comments that made it seem like bankruptcy maybe in the offing or that he's not going to get his way. But I think that part of that probably is just their personalities are so wildly different and how they handle the press and it, it may not actually mean anything.
1: Yeah, and I I do wonder... um and this is such a journalism sort of dork thing to say, but I, I do wonder if Christie's handling of the press in press conferences has really worn thin on the, the people who are on the state beat. And so the questions that he gets asked are even more poignant and pointed and kind of have an edge to them because people are just sort of tired of the way that he responds or doesn't respond or dismisses angrily the questions that he gets asked. Um, but that's, that's you know, there sh- there could be a whole journalism class on on that kind of stuff. Um, but speaking of those pre- press conferences, there was a March 31st press conference in Trenton where Christie basically said, you know, if if Prieto successfully blocks this payment in lieu of taxes bill and the intervention package, Christie will actively oppose the North Jersey casinos. Basically, because, and the reason he's saying that is because Prieto is in North Jersey and it's something that... You know, he is supported. And the funny thing about that is, you know, that's exactly what Atlantic City wants. And so that was asked to him in the April 7th press conference that he did, that Chrissy did in Atlantic City, was, you know, you said you're not going to back North Jersey casinos. Do you stand by that? And he said yes. And, And there was sort of this question of, well, you know, don't you realize that that's what people down here want? And he kind of just said, well, you know, that's what I said and I'm sticking with it. Um, we talked a little bit offline about, you know, what would a compromise even look like between the the state bill and the, I mean, between the state senate bill and the assembly bill. Um, obviously, they're they're very different. Christie has said he won't sign anything that's different than the senate bill. Any change, he will not sign it. Um, you know, it's possible that a compromise does happen, and you know, it moves around the benchmarks or it shortens the time period on the benchmarks. I don't know. The Assembly is going to vote on that bill, I think, on Thursday, and so we'll have more detail on the next episode. But, uh, you know, I think you might be right. I think that Prieto and Guardian are sort of seeing that the timeline, which seemed to favor Christie up until now, maybe is sort of shifting against him and that they can actually push him into a compromise as much as he said that he doesn't want to.
0: Well, I mean, what leverage does Christie have? He doesn't really have any, right? I mean, like, the worst thing that happens is Atlantic City declares bankruptcy, which it's a bad outcome, but I think it's a worse outcome for Chris Christie than it is for Don Guardian. Right. Because so. it destroys the credit rating of all of the cities in New Jersey and probably doesn't help the state of New Jersey's either.
1: Yeah, I think the lever. I think Christie thinks the leverage now is the North Jersey thing. The North Jersey right. casino
0: referendum. Right, right. Of course. And that's why he said it, because it, it hits back at uh and it hits back at, Stephen Fulop, who Christy suspects is behind everything.
1: It's crazy. More is going to happen in the next two
0: weeks. We don't have a lot. I said, you know, we don't
1: have a lot of answers. It seems like a lot happened, but like nothing, nothing, happened. nothing got resolved. I'll say, um, except for that stupid lawsuit that got shut down.
0: Right. Uh, so, so we'll see what happens two weeks from now. Yeah. Or?
1: yeah and we need some good news, I think. So let's talk about the 2015 Uh, operating profit data or operating revenue data that the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement released. And basically, it said everyone's making money. Uh, Every casino posted a profit. Uh, This is uh, from an Associated Press story from Wayne Perry, who we've mentioned many, many times. And it was interesting to see, you know, he really harped on the percentages, uh, which I'd, I'd be interested to hear your take on that. So... Borgata made $216 million. Harrah's, $122 million, which just shows, shows you how much better Borgata does than the second most profitable casino in Atlantic City. Um, Caesars, $83 million. Tropicana, $46 million. Tropicana's revenue was the only one that was down from 2014. So they were actually down 22%. Um, Bally's made... 39.9, Golden Nugget made 22.6, Resorts 15.6, and Taj went from a $1.1 million loss in 2014 to a $3.1 million profit. And so, one of the things that the article that I'll link to in the show notes really talks about is you know, Resorts is up 525%. <laughs> Nugget is up 396%. Bally's is up 77%. And so, it led with the percentages yeah. and not the amounts. So I'm interested to see, you know, my first thought of, about this was you because you're a much more math inclined person than well, I am.
0: The Taj is up an infinite amount of percent because they had a loss last year. Exactly.
1: So, so does this? I mean, just the percentages alone don't really mean that yeah, much. Yeah,
0: no, right? they mean nothing. No.
1: Um. So it's good that they're posting profits. It's good that every casino is profitable. I think that's that's the the main takeaway. Um that they're all increasing profits in 2015 over 2014, you know, 2014 was when four casinos closed. So, you know, there was more competition at the start of that and the money spread yep. over 12 places. So yep. it, the percentages just don't really seem to mean a whole lot. Um the total profit, the total profit I think was up also. So that's another, right. you know, it was up 40%. Uh So that's, that is, is the big is the big headline, is that you know, you can talk about gaming revenue and that's sort of what gets talked about all the time about the gaming re- the gaming revenue's been cut in half since two thousand seven and you know that's sort of used as this metric that shows just how bad it is for the city. But the operating profit being up this big shows that they're starting to attract you know, even while the gaming revenue is is stagnant and I think that's important to mention, shows that they're bringing in probably, you know, club and restaurant spending. Uh, and that's something that's really important for the future of the city. So this, to me, I, th- I think is is pretty, is pretty good to see. I think it's a little bit of a reason for optimism. You know, Taj only making $3.1 million, like that's not something to celebrate. I'm not celebrating their infinite percentage gain. <laughs> um, and even you know, resorts making fifteen point six, like that number doesn't seem great. Right? But you know, profit is profit, so it's good to see that they're all making money. Right. Uh do you have any any thoughts on the profits or any thoughts on these numbers or how these numbers are sort of being spun as as everything's great?
0: Are you are you not sensing yeah, the mean, same
1: optimism or
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely good. I mean with the exception of Taj, which is like whatever. Um uh, all the numbers look fine. Uh, I looked into Trop a little more because I was curious of why they got less profitable. They actually made more revenue, but their SG&A cost went like way up this year for reasons that I don't fully understand. But so that it was just a thing where they spent a lot more money this year for to do something.
1: So, would, so this, this, the so, selling so general what, and, and administrative, is that correct? Um, so would that include the the things like the renovations that obviously they're pumping a bunch of money into?
0: No, I I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to look more into it. I'd have to sort of go back and put my MBA hat on again and sort of re remember how to do accounting. But I look through the trop statements a, a bit and I don't, I don't think that their renovations played a huge role in it. I I was wondering if they were doing some financial stuff, like if they did something like a sale and lease back, but I couldn't really see any evidence of that. So uh, I don't know. It, it's not something that worries me. I mean, the only one that I look at this and I'm like, eh, it's not so good as the Taj. But as we've talked about many times in the past, you know, it's honestly, it's not even like a real casino. It's just a zombie that for some reason is still alive. <laughs> the Taj? Yes. Yeah, and I mean it's been going out of business or not for, you know, a year and a half now or 2 years now. So
1: And and 3.0 million dollars of profit is Yeah, it's, you know, that can get wiped out
0: in yeah. in
1: you know, two high rollers come in and and have a great weekend, right? <laughs> um so that that's sort of within you know, the the margin of not the margin of error, but Certainly, a margin of concern, I'll call it. Like, if you're nobody at the Taj is celebrating that they made three point one million dollars instead of losing one point one million dollars. I mean, obviously, it's better than losing one point one million dollars, but you know that swing is is entirely reasonable without making any changes, right? Like, that is a swing that you might see just because you had some luck go your way. I think,
0: or you had like five rulings against the union this year
1: oh yeah that'll help too <laughs> yeah good point so yeah so shifting from casinos that are not doing well um to the one that does the best uh borgata i thought this was a funny note um has done market research that apparently indicates that many people who are at the borgata do not think that they are in atlantic city so this was kind of a footnote in an article on NorthJersey.com, which is the Bergen record. Um, John Brennan wrote this article, and it was – the main focus of the article was if North Jersey casinos open, um, how many casinos will be left in Atlantic City? Like how many can you expect to to still be there? And so – it was interesting to to sort of read that part of it, but the thing that kind of jumped out to me and I think it's because Amy Rosenberg tweeted specifically about it and it just jumped out to me as really weird. Because you mentioned it last episode, you said you don't really see the Borgata as necessarily being in Atlantic City, you know, obviously it's within the boundaries, but it just doesn't feel quite the same as being on the boardwalk. Uh, so it's funny that you know they they did basically this customer survey and found that A lot of people who answered that in the last 12 months they had been at the Borgata also answered that they had not been in Atlantic City in the last 12 months. And so obviously those answers are mutually exclusive, but it's just funny to see the uh, perception of where people see the Borgata. And so it definitely sort of hammers home that idea that people see the boardwalk as Atlantic City and they see the marina properties as, as something else.
0: And I, I think that makes a lot of sense because in a way, I mean, it's a it's much harder to get off the marina properties than it is off of the boardwalk properties. And uh, honestly, all three marina properties, but especially Borgata and to a slightly lesser extent, Harrah's, you know, they have all of the amenities you could ever want or ask for on site. They have great restaurants, they have a, you know, a wonderful spa, they have, whatever you know clubs if that's what you like so it's all there and as i've said in previous episodes i mean certainly it's very good for atlantic city that they have these these casinos there because it increases their tax base it employs people but it i don't think it's as good for the local economy than if these casinos were on the boardwalk yeah
1: i agree and that's something that i've mentioned um I don't know if I've mentioned it in the show, maybe in one of the first couple episodes, is, you know, they built Borgata and were supposed to build, you know, an MGM. They are supposed to build Le Jardin or whatever it was called, the Steve Wynn mm. Casino. Um, I'm sorry. that I, I'm sure I butchered that French pronunciation, but uh, <laughs> they they bought that land for really cheap. It was something that was totally this, desolate, sort of unused land that was separated from everything. They had to build a tunnel, the the brigantine connector, I think, to get there. And that was a whole big political fight. And so it really is this separate area. And at the time, it was everybody's making money hand over fist. Let's expand the sort of gambling district and, and make more money. And what ended up sort of happening was, well, the best, the biggest and, and baddest casino moved there and and pulled uh pulled people off the boardwalk where most of the casinos are over to that area. And that's you know, that's not Borgata's fault. <laughs> and it's you know, it's not even the state's fault or the city's fault for allowing that to happen. It's just one of those things where in retrospect it's like, oh yeah, that probably had a long term negative impact. It's just totally retrospect and and it's just you know one of those things that ha- that happens with the way the economy goes. I don't know if you have anything to add about this weird uh, weird notion that you're not in Atlantic City when you're at the Borg.
0: No, I mean, I think we've covered it in past episodes.
1: Uh, so, Tropicana has um, apparently gotten new machines called Royal Derby. And this I found out actually just a couple hours ago because Daryl McEwen... Uh, who goes by Mr. A.C. Casino on Atlantic City Weekly, and who you may also know as the Seven Stars Insider. And his website is sevenstarsinsider.com, where seven is spelled out. And that site, I have to say, first of all, is very useful if you're, if you're interested in room information, especially about the Harrah's, Caesars. I don't know why I still call it Harrah's, but the Caesars Entertainment Properties. It It's it one of the few places that has any kind of detail on that. But he posted about Tropicana getting... Royal Derby, which is an electro-mechanical horse racing game where you bet on these little plastic horses, uh, and there are 10 player terminals that give you information on all the horses. It's basically like getting the sheet that you get when you go to the horse track. Um, It tells you their strengths and weaknesses, their past performance, and you basically put money on the winner or on the trifecta, you know, one, two, three. And you get paid out based on how the little horses run around the track, uh, which I'm assuming is, is some sort of random, random number generator based on their odds. And so they have a new machine just outside of the 10 North Lounge, uh, which is in the North Tower Casino floor. That's kind of the main table gaming area where all the, you know, crafts tables and blackjack tables are. So Royal Derby is a descendant of Sigma Derby, which was a 1985 machine that anybody who is a 500-by-midnight listener or who has attended the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic will know uh, as something that is available at the D in downtown Las Vegas. The the VIMP event hosts a Sigma Derby tournament at the D. There's also a machine at MGM Grand, but uh, this new version of it, was introduced at the G2E gaming conference in Vegas in 2015 and this is one of the first instances of it that I've heard of actually being deployed. And so I've never played the original Sigma Derby and it just seems really funny to me. And so I'm actually like pretty excited about this. I definitely want to go to Tropicana. You know, I know we said we didn't have the greatest time at Tropicana on our last trip, but I really want to check this thing out. Like I want to go and see the horses and and hear the stupid electronic sounds they make and 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 just sit around and apparently it's just this great time where everybody's sitting around and cheering on their horses um you know especially if you've got multiple people playing um so i'm i'm pumped for it but i don't know if you share my enthusiasm for little plastic horses going
0: around a track i think it would be fun but so i have a question for you like so so and you might not know this but how does this work is it totally random or Like, how much randomness is there?
1: I'm assuming the horses are given odds, and the randomness is based on those odds.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. With
1: some, you know, cut, obviously, for sort of the house take.
0: Mm -hmm. And I've heard
1: that you, that the house edge is high. I don't have any sort of data to back that up, but I've heard that it's not a particularly good game for the player. (laughs)
0: Uh, I'm sure that's true. I mean, uh, you know, I just went to the local horse track uh, actually a week ago today, and I know the house edge for for horse racing is also very high. So why not make the electric version the same?
1: Yeah, but I, I just want to see it. Because I've seen the videos through Vimp and, and seen it talked about and, and heard it talked about, and it seems like it's just university, universally beloved um, among that community. And so I want to see it, and I'm excited that it's in Atlantic City and they have one, and we can go see it without having to fly out West and probably even go downtown to see it.
0: Yeah. I'd love to see it. Uh,
1: so one thing that we've been putting off talking about for at least three episodes now is conventions. So, um, and not, you know, work conventions, not medical conventions, but conventions that if you are a nerd of a certain persuasion, which I am a nerd of both of these persuasions at times, uh, you can go and have yourself a nerdy time in Atlantic City and that's not to judge anyone cuz like I said I've I've been to uh baseball card conventions and I have not been to comic book conventions but would not be averse to going so first of all the AC Boardwalk Con or ACBC as it is known their website is doacbc.com. uh that is May 13th to 15th at the convention center, so it's a little over a month away. The guest list, I have to say, uh, is not the most inspiring. I thought it was m- more interesting last year. Uh, so the, the guests that they've added just recently are Edward James Olmos, the actor, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, who is currently the magic mirror on Once Upon a Time, he was in Breaking Bad. He was Mike Giardello in Homicide Life on the Street, which, uh, you know, you're from Maryland. You, you watched Homicide, right? And The Wire and all that
0: stuff? I watched The Wire. I did not watch uh, Homicide.
1: Oh, I, so I, I, I'm the opposite. I've never seen The Wire, but I watched Homicide. Really? Yeah. it's good. Uh, so R.J. Mitt, who is Walter White Jr. from Breaking Bad, Teddy Sears, who is a throwback Flash in the Flash TV series. Drea De Matteo from The Sopranos, Taryn Manning from Orange Is the New Black. So, you know, none of these people are comic book related except for, you know, the Flash TV series is obviously comic book related. But one thing I've I'm wondering is, are these things booked late in advance? Like I've never I'm late in advance, late towards the event, because I've never been to a comic con, and so I don't know if these schedules are not set until a couple weeks ahead of time. And I know there's a whole like culture of people who just do a Comic-Con circuit, basically. Like, if you're a comic book creator, uh, like the guys on the show Comic Book Men that's on after, not after Walking Dead, but after the show that's on after Walking Dead that just talks about the Walking Dead. Um, Those guys basically just go to Comic-Cons, you know, like 40 weekends a year or something crazy. So I don't know if those people get added later or what, But, you know, what do I know? You know, if you're interested in checking it out, it's doacbc.com.
0: Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I'm also not, I mean, you know way more about comic books than I do. I have been to a PAX, I went to PAX East in like 2011 or 2012 in Boston, which for those of you who don't know is the Penny Arcade uh, Expo, which is a popular webcomic. I would characterize it as more or less it's a bit more of a gaming convention than a comic convention, per se. I mean, there's, you know, because just of the subject matter of Penny Arcade is very gaming-based. I haven't read it in a few years, but I don't necessarily know the most about this, though I know a little bit. But I think you can go one of two ways as one of these conventions. I mean, you can have a, a great guest list and try to get people that way, or you can kind of be well-known and just build up a reputation for yourself and if you do that then you don't really necessarily need the guests so i'm not sure if this do acbc has reached that point or maybe the organizers are well known and that's good enough
1: so this is only the second year of the ac boardwalk con but one thing i'll say about it is like for me personally i don't care about like waiting in an autograph line um you know i'd be interested in seeing really good panels if they have good panels um, you know, people talking about, like, a show I'm interested in or, or a comic book I'm interested in. But you're right. Like, it's really more about sort of the crazy experience of you've got a bunch of people in, you know, dressed up as superheroes or you... And people go totally all out. And so that's really what it's about, going and seeing and maybe seeing new creators that you haven't heard of. So, you know, hopefully it, it totally knocks that out of the park and it's actually totally worthwhile and keeps doing well. So another big convention that always has a great guest list, an autographed list, is the 37th annual National Sports Collectors Convention is going to be in Atlantic City, August 3rd through 7th. It is a big, big show. So um I went when it was in Baltimore uh, just because, you know, I think Bill Simmons had written a really long article with a ton of pictures about it, and I was like, sort of had recently gotten back into buying some baseball cards and some memorabilia. Which I've sort of phased out and moved more to the comic book side. You know, the key takeaway here is just that I'm a huge nerd, but it was it was an interesting experience. I mean, it's just a massive, massive event of every sports memorabilia item you can imagine. I got a pretty cool narrow University of Maryland pennant from uh I think it was the fifties or sixties. Uh anyways, the the National Sports Collectors Convention, uh it always draws. It's the biggest event in in sports memorabilia uh, every year, and so it's cool that it's coming to Atlantic City. Uh, again, it's going to be at the Convention Center, and the guests, autograph guests, are you know the biggest Hall of Famer names: Wade Boggs, Johnny Bench, Ricky Henderson, Reggie Jackson, Roger Clemens, Daryl Strawberry, Cal Ripken Jr., who obviously you know, to for us is two two guys from Maryland. So that's that's the name. Uh, Ozzie Smith, Mariana Rivera, Joe Namath, Lawrence Taylor, Joe Theismann, Patrick Ewing. So it's just all sports, um, and, and absolutely the biggest names. Uh, you have to pay for autograph tickets, basically, and the tickets are not cheap. Um, you know, there are times when you can actually just go buy an autograph on eBay (laughs) for cheaper than the autograph ticket, but, uh, you know, if you want to go and, sort of have the experience of actually getting something signed by someone in person, this is a good way to do it. And it's probably just going to be a really interesting spectacle and and just crazy to see how many people come out for this thing because it's a huge event every year. Uh, So I don't know what the prices are for this convention, for the autograph listings. Those will be added later. But uh, something to keep an eye on if you're interested in sports memorabilia, you know, if you have your eye on that, like, you know, random bowl game from 1975 pennant, uh, or, you know, something that's just going to complete your man cave. This is a, this is a sure way to go find it.
0: Yep. And, and this is definitely, you know, a good get for Atlantic city. National is the big sports convention every year. I mean, it's the best and most well-known convention in this sort of genre of conventions. So, uh,
1: so one thing that actually we mentioned on the last podcast was, uh, New Retail Development Next to Boardwalk Hall. And it's basically this big, very long um, brick facade building. And we were sort of hopefully speculating that it might be a brewery uh, just because it sort of looked like that on the inside. There are lots, lots of exposed brick. Um, we, you know, just speculated rather than actually going and, and doing any of the research. But it's retail. It's just a plain old retail sort of boardwalk-facing center. And uh, so this area used to be the Trump World's Fair and the Playboy Club that got knocked down years and years and years ago. And so BET Investments, which is Bruce Toll, who actually recently stepped down from the Toll Brothers family, uh, is opening 16,000 square feet of retail space. It's right on the boardwalk. They're hoping it would be done by spring 2015, and when you go to their site, it still says opening spring 2015. <laughs> so that clearly didn't happen. And there's really not much recent news about it. There have been no tenants announced. There's no opening date, although it would certainly seem that, you know, Labor to Era Memorial Day 2016 would make a lot of sense, because basically the structure's done, it looks like. Uh, Bruce Stoll has actually owned this land since he uh, outbid Donald Trump for it in 2005, so you know, certainly in the height of things in Atlantic City. He purchased it for $25.15 million. Uh, In 2011, he paid even more to lift the deed restriction so that it could be used as a casino. So in 2011, he seemed to be indicating that he would want to use it as a casino. And then uh, now, in I think 2013, he announced he was going to do retail development. And now here we are, or 2014, and now here we are actually getting towards opening. So it looks close to done. This uh, CRDA posted a vine in October showing it basically complete and looking ready for tenants. Um, but you know, if it was going to open in May, I would have think I would have thought that we would have heard who the tenants were going to be. <laughs> so we haven't heard any of that. And you know, it, back when it was announced, there were there was talk that oh, it's you know, there are restaurants interested and that kind of stuff. But there's been no confirmation. So. I don't know, it's kind of weird that we're now a month and a half away from Memorial Day and we have not heard anything about this.
0: I mean, I would say that if we haven't heard anything yet, it's probably not going to open this year. It's probably just, I mean, they might not have the tenants necessary or, uh, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you'd think that...
0: I mean, maybe they're sticking to their guns on the rent they want and, you know, they don't have enough people that are willing to pay it and...
1: Yeah, they've sunk thirty point six five million dollars into this thing before they even you know put a shovel in the ground. So maybe they feel like they need to recoup some investment because for that price you could have bought Trump Plaza. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, you can just uh, I don't know maybe maybe in a couple of years it'll just be t shirt shops and massage parlors and like a head shop or something.
1: So the the funny thing like the
0: rest of the boardwalk.
1: The funny thing is they are, they're adamant that it's not going to be that style of stuff. It seems like they're hoping it's going to be more like, you know, national restaurant chains, I think was the rumor. But so, I, you know, I'm thinking they, they are hoping that it's going to be, you know, Abercrombie
0: and like mm-hmm. Cheesecake Factory and exact, stuff like that.
1: Exactly. So I don't know if that's going to happen. And I don't know, it, you know, is it worse to open with 1,600 square feet where you've got however many 16 storefronts and only three of them are open. <laughs> uh, like, I'm guessing that they would rather not do that and they're going to wait to to fill the thing out because it's not going to look great if this big retail sort of uh, frontage is there and you've only got three stores in it. Like, that's kind of a turnoff. So, who knows? We'll keep an eye out for more news, but not much information on that.
0: All right, so... Since it seems like we have a little bit of time, I feel like that gives us carte blanche to talk about whatever we want. Um, (laughs) So, you know, we mentioned last time that we thought, eh, you know, maybe it's going to be a brewery that might be kind of cool. And we had talked about, like, eh, it might be neat. And you mentioned that something that I want is I want drinking on the boardwalk. And uh, I don't know. Maybe we can take this time and talk about. So, so what do you what do you think, Craig? What do you, what do you think Atlantic City needs to be relevant uh, in the future? So, like, well, first, let's even take a step back. Like, what do you think Atlantic City's goal should be? Like, what? How should they define success? How should they define relevance? And then, what do you think they need to do that? Wow, that's a
1: macro level question. Um, well, I know. So I think, you know, obviously, like I said earlier, the gaming revenue has been such the core metric for them, um, for a long time. And I think shifting to other forms of revenue and sort of focusing on those other forms of revenue, whether they're at casinos or they're built, you know, like the polar coaster or or bars or this retail space, um, those metrics are gonna be much more interesting, so to me i mean much more important so to me, the measure of success is gonna be you know not having a bunch of closed stuff on the boardwalk, like you know the the old Atlantic Club can't be sitting there closed, and you know filling those spaces and sort of getting them open as something that is attractive and different and not sort of just the status quo of well, we're going to open a casino and we're really going to hope that this time it's better and this time it's different rather than having a real plan. Um, and and not just that, rather than having a plan that is just taking, taking money away from the other competitors in Atlantic City. And I think that's been part of the problem uh, that I mentioned last episode is so much of the plan has been how do we get money from our existing customers? How do we take customers away from the guy next door? Uh So I think a big measure of success is going to be somebody coming in or multiple people coming in and, and investing in these properties in a way that is not just keeping the gaming revenue flat. I want to see stuff that is so sort of different and grand and unique that that number starts to go up, and also the non-gaming revenue goes up even more. So that's, I don't know if that's a good answer, but... Right.
0: So, you know, what I think Atlantic City should be doing, and where I think there's kind of an opening in the market is, so a lot of what I think Don Guardian and the other people on Atlantic City are trying to do is that they're trying to obviously diversify from gaming, which I think... Probably everyone unanimously agrees is a good idea at this point. It's obvious that gaming, you know, has exploded uh, around the East Coast and it's only going to continue to expand into other states and nearby jurisdictions and maybe North Jersey. But uh, what is trying to do and other people in LAX City is I think they're trying to bring in as much other industry, sort of non-tourism related industry as possible to try to sort of help the general economic malaise that Atlantic City's been in. I mean, it has the highest bankruptcy rate in the, in the country and things like that. But when I look at Atlantic City and I think about its history as this, you know, has this rich history as a, you know, as a resort town or maybe not a resort town, but as a, you know, vacation town as basically their main industry has always been tourism. You know, I think that's what they should continue to push and something that, you know, I've said a couple times or you've indicated that I think is that I think part of that could be something like allowing drinking on the boardwalk and maybe only on the boardwalk, maybe in a, a one or two other spots. But, uh, and even if it's like New Orleans, maybe you have to pour your beer into a cup before you leave and we can things like that are fine. But I just think that, you know, there's so much. Untapped potential if you look at the number of people who from the East Coast, who from Europe are flying, you know, out to Las Vegas or are flying to a place like New Orleans when Atlantic City is right there and it's so much closer and it could be, you know, so different than anything else on the East Coast. Uh, I think that's like a it's a tremendous opportunity and it's something that we've talked about in past episodes. You've mentioned that when you're sitting on the Greyhound coming down to Atlantic City with these obviously foreign tourists and you're like, eh, I don't know if they really are going to get what they're expecting. I mean, there's no reason that that Atlantic City can't be this like sort of weird and sort of wild place with a lot of cool stuff instead of, you know, what it is now, which is kind of a dilapidated and run down beach city, essentially. And, you know, a a big reason that I tend to think that the city council of Atlantic City uh, or a reason that I'd prefer that the city council and the local government of Atlantic City stays in control of Atlantic City is I think that sort of any solutions for Atlantic city to really boom again would have to be nuanced. And I don't know if the state or I don't know if that can happen under state oversight. I mean, I think they'll be trying to make micro changes to fix things when I think maybe it's a macro change is what's needed. So
1: one thing that I think you really hit on, uh, well, two things weird. I've thought about a lot. The word weird You know, you go to Austin and it's keep Austin weird. And and Atlantic City, I think, just maybe needs to be kind of weirder. And, And I think the reason that that word resonates is because weird doesn't need $100 million investments to happen. You know, weird can sort of happen in terms of sort of weird, quirky places that are interesting, like, you know, for example, Austin, there was a place when we had a friend who went to grad school in Austin, and every time I went there, he made sure that we went to this bar that was a hell themed bar that had the best burgers in Austin, and you know it's just this weird, just complete dive that has like random videos like kung fu videos on the screen, and it's uh, just all the walls are red with like flames, and the music is you know death metal and really dark stuff and that place was great in just the weirdest way and you know Atlantic City could get more of that another thing is I think it was Marty Small who said you know the AC council president who was talking about when the state first talked about helping out Atlantic City you know now five or six years ago they talked about how they were going to bring all this tourism in and the CDRDA was going to make all this stuff happen. And one of the things that they talked about was, uh, you know, like New Orleans you mentioned is bringing sort of Bourbon Street to New Orleans. And he said, you know, where is my Bourbon Street on whatever Pacific Ave or whatever Whatever he said. And and that really struck me because it was like, why isn't it like that? Like why, why don't they just open a bunch of bars and – Close it off to traffic and sort of create things that incentivize people to open things there and and just make it an awesome time. Uh, I mean that's obviously easier said than done, but you know those kind of things I think would go a long way to making it sort of this party place and not just this place where you go to sit at a slot machine and and gamble and then get on the bus and go back home. So that kind right. of that kind of sort of bigger shift in, in the idea of Atlantic City, I think, would go a long way.
0: Right, and I, I think we've kind of danced around this, uh, both in what you said earlier as a response to my question and in previous episodes, is, I think, as you pointed out, the big difference between Atlantic City and a place like like Las Vegas is that in Atlantic City, everyone's trying to increase their share of the pie And no one's really building anything that makes Atlantic City as a whole better. You know, no one's trying to make the actual pie bigger. And I think that it wouldn't be that hard of a thing to do. And and I'm sure that there's a lot of obstacles. You know, when I ask, you know, why isn't there, why isn't drinking allowed on the boardwalk or somewhere else in Atlantic City, for example, I mean, for all I know, there there's probably some state law that that frankly, might not allow it, no matter what Atlantic City says. So, I mean, there could be a lot of obstacles, but I I don't think, I think everyone's been sort of selfishly looking out for themselves for the last 30 years or 40 years and not looking out and not trying to increase, you know, Atlantic City as a whole.
1: So you have, though, now Glenn Straub and Bart Bladstein. Um, Do they give you any optimism that... They are going to make or push that change because those are two people who are not traditionally casino operators. Um, right. And they're, they're unique in that they're not heading up a big corporation or they're not, you know, like Carl Icahn bought Tropicana and, and Trump Taj kind of just as, you know, totally as a, as an investment, as a, you know, what can we do on the margins here? So these guys have an opportunity to shape the future of Atlantic City and the future of the way we see Atlantic City. And I don't really know exactly what their visions are, although it seems pretty clear that Blatstein's vision is very nightclub centric. But, you know, do do they give you optimism? Or at this point, have you seen enough or from from Blatstein and sort of heard enough from Straub but not seen enough <laughs> that any optimism that you might have had is is sacked away.
0: So, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about Glenn Straub. He's a very strange man. We're both sort of nervous about what he's planning for Revel. Uh, Bart Blatstein, as you brought up a couple episodes ago, has some amount of history of not sort of finishing what he started. But I'd say as a whole, I actually am optimistic about Atlantic City, despite everything we've talked about, despite, like, who knows if there's going to be gaming in North Jersey, who knows if a couple more casinos are going to close down. But, I mean, I think part of the reason I'm optimistic is simply because, you know, this state of Atlantic City, like, right this second is so bad, it's almost impossible to imagine it getting worse at this point. But to me, it doesn't, I, I think that the investment that's going on there, whether it's by people like Straub or Blatstein or not, I mean, I think that bodes well for the future, and, and personally, I am optimistic.
1: Yeah, I think, I don't know, I, I I feel like I go back and forth, you know, at times I think, you know... They could really knock it out of the park and do something that is out there and different and and weird <laughs> to go back to that word, um, and sort of make make things a big enough attraction that people come, not just for the gaming. Um, but the other on on the other side of that, it was like, you know I was really excited for the playground and for T street, and I thought the idea behind the T street was great and then we saw the execution and it was just piss poor so <laughs> so that is makes me much more skeptical and then you know same thing with Straub you mm-hmm. know the ideas were very grand and i didn't i didn't agree with most of them i didn't think most of them were even good ideas but they were very out there and and different and then the result or at least what he's talking about making it now is you know a water park that everybody who has bought or you know, hinted at buying any of the closed properties. Has said, "Oh, we're going to do a water park like they have in Poconos," and then, and you know, it's still going to be a small casino. Like it's probably still going to be pretty casino focused at at Revel. So, i have sort of tempering my enthusiasm, but I still have that hope. And, and you know, obviously, we do an Atlantic City podcast, so we're we're optimists. We're optimists. I feel like you know if we if we weren't optimistic we wouldn't be doing this every 2 weeks we'd just say well you know the place is screwed so <laughs> so, so let's just cut this out let's save ourselves some time
0: um i mean but but can you imagine like a, a world where instead of the boardwalk being full of t-shirt shops and head shops and massage parlors you know it's full of of bars and breweries and places like that and On a cool summer night with a breeze, you can walk down the boardwalk with a beer after, you know, leaving a brewery or whatever and head back to your casino hotel and, you know, I I don't know. I mean, honestly, you know, people have always said that Atlantic City has advantages over Las Vegas and that the ocean's there and that's not something that. Las Vegas can ever compete with. And I, I think in the right circumstances, people are right. It's just it hasn't happened for a lot of reasons. Instead, right now, it'd be you're walking down the boardwalk by yourself, you know, and maybe some some of the rickshaw pushers and passing closed storefronts and, you know, fortune tellers and in massage parlors. <laughs> and close You're right.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, we- like the ingredients i feel like it's just not that far away from having this this amazing experience for people who who want to come to the city and have a great time but yet it seems really far away simultaneously
1: that i think sums it up perfectly is that i it at some point i just have to feel like somebody's going to put it together and and they're going to figure it out and the boardwalk is going to be great and people are going to start to go. It's never going to be the Vegas Strip. It's it's just not going to happen. Um, but it will be an attraction in and of itself. And the fact that it does worse than other New Jersey beach towns that are big attractions is insane. All <laughs> right. So,
0: I mean, and, and, and not only that, but Atlantic City, you know, perhaps, you know, a lot of its press recently has been bad press, but still it's, it's known almost worldwide. I mean, there's been, you know, Boardwalk Empire is like a famous show on HBO now that millions of people watch around the world, honestly. And, and there's just so much history there and it's been part of so many movies and, you know, there's a lot of, notoriety for it already. It it seems like it should be well-positioned to move into a future like the one I described.
1: Yeah, and I say that it does worse than other...
0: And instead, yeah, I mean, it gets killed by Wildwood and places like that.
1: And I say it does worse than those towns, except it did bring in over $2 billion in gambling revenue last year. So I'm going to guess that there's you could add up everything that Wildwood brought money in from, and it's not $2 billion. It's just that such a huge cut of that goes to other things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think those are things to think about. I think I think you have made a lot of good points and, and sort of sum up why we have the feelings that we have for Atlantic City and the, feel, and the hope that we have for the future of Atlantic City. I mean, that's probably a good way to to end episode 11 here. Unless you have anything else you want to get in. Nope, I agree. So I just want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, thank you to everyone who has posted or joined the Facebook group. Uh, that is at facebook.com slash groups slash do for a win. It's a great place to go discuss anything Atlantic City related, your trips, your gambling, your restaurant plans. Uh, it's gotten some good activity, so that's been really cool to see. Uh, Obviously, our site is DoForAWin.com. There you can find our episodes with the show notes that have links to all of the various articles. You can find us on iTunes by searching DoForAWin or Atlantic City. Um, You can also find us on Twitter at DoForAWin. Feel free to reach out out to us at any of those venues. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at DoForAWin at gmail.com if you'd like it to be just uh, between us rather than to the whole Facebook group. Um, but again we love to hear from everybody we're really happy to see all the activity and to see everybody reaching out Uh, so until two weeks from now uh, thanks for listening and good luck in your gambling adventures
0: talk to you all in a couple weeks sort of looking like we're going to be only news this episode. And I'm like, no, no, we can't have that.